Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Over the past several weeks, a number of our members have had the tragic loss of, of one of their parents, unrelated to COVID, but still the sadness is very real. And, and what it reminded me of is, is that even in this time of pandemic, when we're so focused on the virus and, and all the things we're needing to do, that babies are being born, a new grandbaby from our members was just born, uh, and people are dying from other things besides the virus. Life, life goes on. Part of the fear in this pandemic has been all the unknowns about the virus. As of Thursday morning this week, the virus has taken the lives of almost 85,000 Americans, uh, people in the United States. It's horrible and it is tragic, and we are all doing what we can to try to uh, prevent the spread of the virus. It, it doesn't diminish in, in any way th- this tragedy, but we as a nation much more quietly endure uh, this kind of tragedy and worse every year. Uh, annually, each year in the United States, there are between eighty-five to 90,000 alcohol-related deaths. And that's a huge number, but compared to the tobacco-related deaths, is a small number because each year, over 400,000 tobacco-related deaths. And these are, these are annual numbers next year and the next year and the next year. And, and so our caring, I think, as we go through this crisis, our caring it needs to expand beyond the, the unknown and the new to the old and the familiar as well. All, as things begin to reopen, uh, and that's been exciting, though, things are starting to reopen a little bit, I want to remind you to be wise, to be wise. Part of our Christian ethic is to practice Jesus' teaching we call the golden rule, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us if we were them, we could add. Uh, we are called to sacrifice for the benefit of others. I have no doubt that each of you have your own set of beliefs and understandings regarding the virus, the precautions to take, the ways to live in this time. I, I have no doubt that those will vary considerably. I hope as, that as followers of Jesus, we will, in this off-balance time, practice a lot of grace and a lot of uh, kindness toward each other. Maybe we could just determine that we will choose to believe that whatever anybody else is doing, they're doing because they believe it is in the best interest of themselves and others, and it's from good motivations to do good and not to do harm. According to the latest CDC recommendations, of which I'm aware, ones I looked at this morning, um, three things still stand out. As we re-engage in life, we're supposed to sit and stand further apart than we used to. Uh, Give a little more space there, that six-foot rule. That we're to wear a mask or some kind of face covering when we're in stores, and that we are to wash our hands and sanitize services that are often touched, and uh, never touch our our faces with our unwashed hands. Does this restrict our freedom? 
uh, yes, it does. But as a follower of Jesus, I'm willing to make these easily sacrifices to my comfort zone in the interest of others, safety, or maybe just uh, psychological comfort as well. With that said, I'd like to remind us of Natan Sharansky's five tips to have during quarantine. He was a prisoner in the Soviet Union for a number of years, and he has these five tips for surviving quarantine. We showed them a video of him doing these. I think it was our second week of the quarantine. Remind ourselves that we are at war with a very dangerous, though invisible enemy, and whether we will succeed in the battle depends on our behavior. Second, don't make plans for things when they get back to normal because we can't control when that is if that happens. And so make plans to do things that are for you, that you can control. Read a book, um, you know, make some plans, journal, clean your house, organize something, etc. Keep your sense of humor is the third one. And I think that's really important at this time just to laugh a lot and uh, laugh well. That'll be good. Number four, don't give up hobbies if you have one. And if you don't have a hobby, this would be a good time maybe to adopt a hobby. And then finally, number five, feel your connection. We're not in this alone. I really hope that this week you'll focus on that fifth tip that he shared to feel connected. Maybe just decide that once a day you'll call someone you know, uh, just to check on them, to encourage them, so they'll feel less alone and you'll feel less alone as well. It might even be a great time to reactivate that great social grace of writing a handwritten note and sending it through the old mail system. The good news is that you must be making really good connections and feel connected because none of you needed to come by and visit the Zoom meeting that was open on Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 last week. It was great for me. I was able to get some reading done. But uh, I'll have it again this week from 7 to 8, open Zoom meeting. If you want the link to that, it's in our events calendar on our website on the calendar for May 20. We'll have the link you can click right there. Now, as we turn to the word, let's just bow our heads and ask for God's guidance. Father, we seek a word, a message, some communication from you. You gave us your word as you as we unpack the 17 verses for today. May you teach us and inspire us with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The last paragraph of last week's sermon <clears throat> said had these words. We don't need anything, any behavior, any performance, any new theology, any secret handshake, just Jesus. He's the vine, we're the branches. We can, we can let our roots grow down deep and, and get nourishment from him to grow in grace and in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth that we were taught. And our lives can overflow with thanksgiving for all that he has done. And that is to live in freedom. To wake up each morning with the reality in our minds that we have this amazing gift of God's favor. To open your eyes first thing in the morning and use your imagination to to hear a voice call you by name and say, Andy, or whatever, you know, your name, uh, good morning. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Welcome to today. I, I wonder what Cynthia Stafford, what, what were the first thoughts were the morning after? 
With a heart of love and compassion and generosity, when her brother was killed by a drunk driver, she decided to become the single mother to his five children and took them into her home. Her aging father needed to have help being supported as well, so this was all on her. And it was tough. Economics were hard. They lived in a all of them together in a little 1,000-square-foot home. Uh, And then each day when the mail would come, she would dread seeing the mail because she didn't want to see those bills that she wasn't sure how she could pay. And then, true story, she won $112 million in the lottery. $112 million in the lottery. I, I wonder... As her alarm went off the the next day after she had won, what were the first thoughts that came into her mind? Maybe your situation is rough and and you fantasize of such luck coming your way to to win the lottery. What what has occurred for you? I want to tell you this. What has occurred for you and what has occurred for me has what has already occurred for us is better than winning the lottery. Please listen as I read the first 17 verses of Colossians chapter 3. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sight on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with God with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed the whole world to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So put to death the, the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, a a barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in us all. Since God chose you, since God chose you to be his holy people, he loves you. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. 
And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Our youth band just led us in singing it. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You you silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring the praise of your glory, for you raised to life again. And Paul is saying that not only did Jesus, uh, was Jesus resurrected, but that in your baptism, as you held your breath and went under the water and sort of a symbol of your death, and then as you came forward and you took that first breath of your new life in Christ, you were resurrected in Jesus and with him. Paul said, since you have been raised to new life in Christ, that is the reality. That's what's real. This is way better than winning the lottery. The lottery is just temporal money for a temporal time. And what God has done for us in Christ Jesus is something that is ours now and then goes all through eternity. The coming to Christ is death to this life, the temporal, earthly, sinful life. And now our real life is in Christ. Eugene Peterson translates verse 3 this way. Your old life is dead. Your your new life, which is your real life, even though it's invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. Can you imagine poor Cynthia with those five kids and an aging dad to support? Can you imagine her winning $112 million and nothing changing in her life? She still lives in the, just stays in the same thousand foot square uh, foot home. She still dreads seeing the mail. She worries about bills. Uh, She buys the minimum amount of food to just stave off her hunger. Why in the world would you continue to live like a pauper if you've hit the jackpot? And yet sometimes, sometimes I think we must forget our status in Christ. We've been adopted, adopted into the family of the almighty God of the universe. We, we go back sometimes, though, we revert. We go back and we pick up and try to revive the life. We, we move back into the thousand-square-foot house. We, you know, we, we stop eating good food because we're afraid it's going to cost. I mean, really, we, we revert back to the old ways. We try to revive the life which we had, which is now dead, and it died with Christ. Paul sort of screams, no, don't don't let that happen. Don't let your mind even go there. Don't think about the things of this earth. Think about the things of heaven. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, and lying. Sometimes, sometimes when we're sure that we've put one of those things to death in our lives, some old sinful nature, wickedness thing to death, we discover that it is resurrected. It reminds me of those birthday candles that you blow out and then a few seconds later they they come back back again. Uh, That's what seems like sometimes we think we've killed something and it's over and yet it seems to resurrect because while in Christ we are perfect and this is our real life, we still live life in the here and now and what Paul calls the flesh has a way of reappearing. This is why he begins this section telling us to put our minds on heavenly stuff, 
to not be so absorbed in what is right here, right now with us, but in, but to look up and to and to be to be alert to our position, our status in Christ. I, I'm learning to to look up as I walk around the lake early in the morning before the sun has come up. I take my dogs for a walk. And uh, I, I find myself sometimes just looking down at the sidewalk and seeing where I'm going so I won't trip or anything. And one of the dogs we have, Belle, you've heard me talk about Belle before, she's a bird dog. And she's always looking up, for looking for a bird to see what she can see one flying by. And I realized that if I would look out further in front of me or even look up at the tops of the trees, that all of a sudden I find myself standing up straighter and, and breathing better and being able to have a, my mental attitude be more open for that day. And in the same way, I think Paul is telling us, don't keep looking at what you have right here. Look up. Look up to Christ and heavenly stuff. Paul says to his friends at Colossae, <clears throat> and by extension to us, you died to this life. That's verse 3. Then in verse 5, he's, we're, just, we're supposed to put to death the things of our old life, which I thought we just died to in verse 3. And then it's all behind us, we think. And then in verse 8, he has us getting rid of more of it. The battle to focus on Jesus, to trust God, and to let the old be gone is a battle for all of our earthly journey. In verse 10, he says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn more about your creator and become like him. Our position with God in Christ is God's work in us. Verse 12, he says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. We're God's people by his choice, by God's choice of us. Paul is continuing the theme from earlier in this letter where he talked about God has reconciled all things to himself in heaven and on earth through Jesus Christ. As a result of putting on the new nature, uh, of learning more about Jesus, of becoming like him, we're to clothe ourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, gentleness, and patience. We are to make allowance for each other's faults, it says, and forgive anyone who offends you. Satan's biggest gun in his arsenal is to get us to think that we've messed up either in too big of a way or maybe in smaller ways for too many times and that God is not going to be able to forgive us. To get us to be harder on ourselves this is Satan's, this is his deal, to get us to be harder on ourselves than God is on us, but then attribute that hardness on ourselves to God. Most of us, I don't think, have 10,000 sins with which to wrestle, more than 10,000 sins to worry about. Likely, what concerns us is probably a half dozen or so that keep showing up with such great regularity. Uh, we say, we say, and you've done this, I've done this, I'm never going to, and you put yours there, uh, never going to do blank again. And then we find ourselves once again having caved. And when we cave, this voice comes into our head. I think Satan whispers to us, you're just too bad. You're just too bad. Look how much you failed. I mean, you say you're a follower of Jesus. You say you're his but look what you've done and and starts reminding us of you're not worthy of being forgiven and then he gets us this is the weird thing it's paradoxical he gets us 
to join with him and beat ourselves up with some kind of self-flagellation. You're the worst person ever. I can't believe you did. That's the stupidest thing you've ever could have. I can't believe you're that way. You know, you ought to know better. And we just, we just really beat ourselves up. We just read that we're to be clothed with tender-hearted mercy. That's not just for us to have tender-hearted mercy for others, but also towards ourselves. And the same is true with kindness and humility and gentleness and patience for others and making allowance for each other's faults and forgiving anyone who offends us. That includes us making allowance for our faults and, and forgiving ourselves when we make bad decisions. When you and I have been raised to new life with Christ, when we live with the Christ in you hope of glory mindset, when, when we put no confidence in us, do you remember what it says back in Colossians chapter 1? It's where he's talking about God having reconciled all things to himself in Christ. And then he says this, this includes you. You who were once so far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, did you come back? Were you so wise to return? No. And now he has brought you back as his friends. As a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. How can that be? How can, when you look at your life and I look at my life, how, how can that be? It is so because whenever God looks at you, whenever God looks at me, he doesn't just see us, he first sees Jesus. Your life, Paul says in this chapter, is hidden in Christ. You you can beat yourself up, self-condemn, refuse to give yourself tenderhearted mercy, but when the God of all the universe, the, the Almighty, looks at you, what he sees is the perfection of Jesus on your behalf. He sees only Jesus. Our enemy Satan wants us to think that God is lacking in compassion on one hand and or pity. He wants us to doubt that, that God has the ability uh, to save us or the willingness to do so. Hear it clearly. Hear it very clearly. God has. God has. That's a a great past tense. God has already reconciled you to himself. He has begun a good work in you. Philippians 1, 6 says he began a good work in you and he's going to complete what he started. He's going to bring it to to completion. When, When we mess up, we start questioning our faith. We drop a ball. We make a mistake. We sin in some way. And we begin to question our faith. Have we really believed did I really give my heart to Jesus? Did I, did I really surrender in any way? I've messed up. Maybe I never really was saved. You see, the problem is the track of our salvation being dependent on what I do or don't do is so firmly laid in our minds that when we mess up, we think that we can easily undo what God has done. He has reconciled us to himself. I, I love this quotation from the book Steps to Christ. To such I would say, do not draw back in despair. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. Even 
even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken, and rejected by God. Why? Why aren't we? Because, praise God, we are not saved by our good works or by our obedience, and we are not lost by our bad works. Paul's pre-benediction in these 17 verses, I believe, ends with verse 14. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. God loves you more than you love yourself. He, he is the gracious God, and, and you have been raised to new life with Christ. So get your mind off of, off of sinful stuff and focus it on Jesus. You can choose to focus on Jesus and let him transform you more and more into his very image. And Paul's benediction in these verses says this, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Let it just fill up your whole life. Teach and counsel each other with wisdom that he gives and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.